Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening and thank you for so much for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham and I'll be listening for you. Over the next two hours we're going to return and examine perspectives from boots on the ground at Ferguson. For those of you who may not understand the essential importance of what is going on there, let us just simply say that we are standing as African Americans in this country at one of the most prolific moments of our lifetimes. Here we begin again to massage a place where America understands our struggle and our pain. Ferguson, Missouri, the death of young Michael Brown has brought us 
to this place. But if you understand history, if you have been looking at our struggle and looking at our situation as a people over the last 25 years, you would see that perhaps we have been coming here all along. For those of you who are listening on your smart devices or on your phones, you may join our chat room at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Uh, If you're having a difficult time connecting with us, simply refresh uh, your, your connection from your computer or smart device. It seems to work in that way, and we thank Janet Schmidt for alerting us that there people are having problems getting onto the site. We ask you to try it again. We also ask you uh, to email a friend, uh, post on your Facebook that we are live streaming tonight looking at the eyewitness perspectives from Ferguson as Ferguson and America is occupied and under siege. Our guest tonight, Reverend Ruby Nell Sales. You will remember her from last week if you were with us. Uh, She is the founder of the Spirit House Project in Atlanta, Georgia, a social activist, a scholar, a public theologian, and educator. She is also an expert in the area of community organizing and group development. Also with us, joining us tonight, will be Reverend Osagiofo Uhuru Seku. He is an author, documentary filmmaker, a public intellectual, organizer, pastor, and public theologian. These are our brothers and sisters who heard a clarion call that the situation in Ferguson, the oppressive conditions under which our brothers and sisters have been living needed professional expertise and leadership in organizing their response to the murder of Michael Brown. And we thank you so very much for being with us. This is how it works at Our Common Ground. If you are new This is a live stream broadcast, and uh, we will take your calls in the midst. We don't do interviews at Our Common Ground. We have discussions with people who are learned, who are part of the leadership in this country, who are scholars, who are theologians and educators. This is an opportunity for us to become informed and to have a greater insight to the events and the circumstances that surround our lives, that form our future as our history becomes a part of how we see our children and our future. We're going to be joined uh, early in this first page, as we call our first hour, uh, with Reverend... Dr. 
Ruby Nail Sales from the Spirit House Project, who has just returned to Atlanta from Ferguson, and later on in the broadcast by Reverend Seku, and we hope that you will stay with us and tell a friend. We can, you can find us on Facebook at Our Common Ground Talk. I'm Janice Graham, and I moderate this Empowerment Alternative Activist Radio. I want to take you, before we talk with uh, uh, Ruby Sales, inside where we are, inside this moment. So we want you to settle in, listen carefully, think deeply, and feel passionate about where we are. Police shot this man for no reason. by the county. 
Zionists sitting down, begging for the protesters not to run. The sound that you're hearing is a crowd control upon the media. They are continuing to advance down the street. This happened at the same time that Newt Gingrich had his contract with America when he made the announcement that by the year 2000, most of the workers in this country would be people of color. So they fabricated, at the same time they fabricated this war on drugs, they were heavily arming policemen, and so people were getting Humvees, uh, people were getting... Um, machine guns, people were getting massive weapons of destruction. So it's not just, so the government this is an armed camp. Last night, even after the governor said he was pulling out this militarized police department, people who demonstrated last night were met with machine guns and tanks. And I think that this is not just here in Ferguson, but around the nation. But before I get to that very important point, I want to say that yesterday there's been a great deal of manipulation. People here are very angry at the criminalization of Michael Brown. They're asking very important questions, like if this were the case and you had this evidence, why didn't you present it earlier? Did you tell the Justice Department about this? And people believe that it's a fabricated lie. People in the streets are saying that the pictures were photoshopped, 
Young people are in the street for the first time in large numbers. Unfortunately, there's no destination because there has not been any clear organizing strategy on how to tap into this energy so that it continues when the camera is no longer pointed at Ferguson. Older black people are also very upset, but we're not just angry, determined that some light bulbs have gone out in people's heads that were not there, and people are determined. There's a curfew that terrifies me because I know that some young people will push that curfew, and given the militarized situation here, that they will be killed. Reconstruction after black people have enjoyed unprecedented power in the nation, then whites began to reorganize themselves and began to try to get power back to terrorism. Down the street uh, at the other uh, point where the uh, military police had set up, uh, young people refusing to leave the street. Uh, uh, and uh, police deployed tear gas. Uh, I was standing there when it happened. A, a, a number of us were tear gas last night. Uh, what we see now is nothing less than an occupation. Uh, I have not felt the way that I feel uh, since I was in Palestine in 2012. In fact, I had to go through a checkpoint. I was asked for my ID to get to this uh, media station and so our young people are in a tremendous amount of pain and an officer who should have been indicted has not been indicted and let us be sure and be clear uh, in the reality that these young people are engaging in a rich tradition of nonviolent civil disobedience while there is some violence but the greatest amount of violence occurred on last uh, last Saturday when Mike Brown was shot down like a dog and left and the journalists are not allowed to do their jobs in order to be able to bear witness to what is happening here on American soil while drones are being deployed. There are teachers who are telling me in this district that they can't buy books for their children. And so I, this ideal is just completely problematic. And that the provocation that is happening is the high level of military-style police presence here uh, in Ferguson. Uh, provides resources uh, and ships uh, armament to Israel is the same police force and uh, the same Pentagon that distributed uh, uh, instru instrumentalities of uh, militarization vis-a-vis -vis these urban tanks, these machine guns that are being used and pointed at, and the tear gas that are being used and pointed at, at children, and I say children here in Ferguson are the same ones that are being pointed at in, uh, in, in children in uh, in Palestine uh, and so there is a direct connection both in terms of material resources uh, as well as the spirit of this thing. A thing that I saw with Mark Duggan and the London riots, right, that they killed him, lied, media picked up a narrative to uh, a character assassinate him and then continued to try to uh, create a craft a story and the craft of that story, the media and the and the government officials in collusion are, in, are are attempting to articulate a simple truth to us in terms of their notion of truth. So a a, a, a simple lie that they are articulating is that he is a nigga who deserved to be murdered.
Ferguson, Missouri, under siege. America, occupy. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we return to Ferguson, Missouri, Occupy. Act witnesses from Ferguson. Our guests, Dr. Ruby Sales of the Spirit House Project, Atlanta, Georgia, and Reverend Osagiepo Uhuru Sekou, an international activist, native of St. Louis. They have heard the cry of our people and heeded clarion call. Boots on the ground experts to heal, inspire, and organize our community and our people. I'm Janice Graham. This is Our Common Ground, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us tonight. Thinking 
and really asking some very important questions about where we are and how did we, how did we get here. Yes. I, 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 you know, I, I, I love this J. Cole piece that, that we heard earlier called Free, because you really hear the cry in that song of our young people and, and have hopes that they are in their voices, in their lives, beginning to understand that there is no gun that can destroy their souls. I just, so Ruby, tell, tell our audience about how are people reorganizing? How are people in Ferguson beginning to, I mean, these are people who have been so terribly disenfranchised and they are not alone. This is the kind of disenfranchisement politically, economically, socially. Because we're looking at Ferguson, and, and as Chris Hayes showed, all of America. This is a town that is essentially segregated like the deep south of the 60s. Yes. It is not the only town in this country. We live in a segregated America. And I suspect that people in Ferguson are doing the same thing that black people are doing around the country, really trying to catch our breaths, really trying to understand how did we get here with these militarized police departments without the Black Caucus telling us or our black leaders alerting us and sounding the alarm in Zion and telling us what we're up against. I think people are trying to have a normal life in the middle of this chaos. And I think Mm -hmm. spiritually people are trying to hold on to what Susan K. Smith calls this crazy faith the radical hope to keep on pressing when it seems so overwhelming, when it seems that everything, all of the forces are arrayed against you, to just keep on pressing, keep on resisting, and keep on believing, as Bernie Johnson says in Harry T. Moore, that freedom never dies. Hmm. You know, Ruby, you wrote um, this week uh, a a lot of very pressing and very moving words about where we are, our condition. I remember my parents talking about the condition, using that word, of the Negro. And and I want to, for the audience, I want to read a little bit of, of something that you wrote this week and have you talk more about it, examine more of it. You wrote, consider this. I am disturbed with the debate that drowns us every day with whether or not Michael Brown posed a threat to the police who shot him. 
And you write, unless you believe that black people possess superhuman gorilla strength, how could anyone reasonably believe that after being shot four times would have the strength to charge anyone? You went on to say, it is so important to think about this, really. Why can't folk imagine that Michael Brown was afraid after being shot four times in the arm by a harassing police officer who stopped him from jaywalking? Why can't we imagine that he was not only afraid for his life, but utterly dismayed by what was happening? And you close by saying, America has never seen black rage by black free persons. And the reality of that seems to be its biggest fear. I'd be fearful of my captors breaking free after centuries of intolerable abuse. Well, I think that statement goes to the very heart of some very important questions. Let's first of all deal with the act of criminalization, and that means dehumanizing and presenting or representing black people as animals, as different from all other people. So when you hear this debate in the media, even from black reporters, about whether or not he did or did not charge. I've never heard one person say, my God, that kid must have really been physically hurting. How did he deal with the pain of being shot? What did that feel like to this kid, 18 years old? What was the fear that gripped him as he faced this monster police who was in a white male rage? Instead, people make the police the victim and Michael Brown the predator. And it's easy to do that in a society where you're constantly told that black people are criminals, that we come from a criminal culture, that our parents are deadbeat fathers and crack-addicted mothers, that we have no assets in the community, that we live in ghettos and not neighborhoods, all of the propaganda that has been created about African Americans have been intentionally created so that the yoke of oppression could be wrapped around our necks and America would stand silent. And so even intelligent people whom I, who I think are reasonable people, enter into this crazy bait, debate when the real question is, why did the police fire on an unarmed person who was trying to retreat and get away? I've not heard anyone pick up on what I've heard is that that particular police has a history of harassing black people, particularly young black people. So we've been told that Michael Brown is an animal while perhaps his police was victimized and beat up by him, this invisible person. And, the, and it is incredible for, to me that a witness named Josie 
could call on the radio. We don't see her face. She was not there. Her testimony is at best second or third hand. And she and, and airtime is spent debating what she said, entering it into the discourse as if it is legitimate. While the well, black there was witnesses a break. There, there was a um, there was a breakthrough on that story, and Josie is a false person. You've got with mail. a with a Facebook page that's a hoax. It was um, the Washington Post broke that news this afternoon. There's no well, thank no such you. person I'm not as Josie. with that, but the fact is yeah. is that even though that is the case, the most troubling reality is that people took that seriously, that the news media absolutely took that seriously while questioning the legitimacy of the black witnesses. So what we understand is that black people's words have no currency Mm -hmm. when put alongside a white person's word, that an invisible white person has more credibility than black people who stepped forward were visible and told their stories. And, you know, we keep hearing this thing about the witnesses, their stories vary. No, their stories don't vary. The salient issues are he was shot while trying to get away from the officer. He did not have a gun. He did not reach in his pocket for a weapon. As a matter of fact, he was shot while trying to surrender. That's those are the facts that are consistent with all of the witnesses. So I think that one of the things that really disturbed me is that there's there is a lot of historical and contemporary conversation about black rage. But I think that we need to begin to look at white rage. White male rage. The kind of rage that make white men do our young white boys do Columbine, the the kind of rage that made them shoot up Texas University, uh, Texas a, uh, University. I think that we really need to look at that and understand that white boys are in a rage, and it's personal. It's personal against black people. You have to be in a rage to pump 49 bullets into one human being or 137 rounds of bullets. You have to be in a rage. And there's something really deeply troubling about these people who are in a rage in a white supremacist world being allowed to carry guns in the open. That's very scary. I don't feel safe. They talk about white people don't feel safe. To be perfectly honest, I do not feel safe in the face of white rage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, one of the interesting parts of all of this coming out of Ferguson and what is happening there is that there are major news and media outlets who are, for the first time, having a sense of what we have been saying, what I have been saying, what you have been saying for over 30 years, that for blacks, America is dangerous by default. 
America is dangerous. America has always been dangerous. Now, there have been some periods when the danger has been more intense than other periods, but I grew up in southern apartheid, and America was dangerous because black people were lynched, and these lynchings enjoyed the cover of the law, just like the murders today. And we're not just talking Mm -hmm. about murders. Let me make that very clear. We're not just talking about executions. We're talking about torture, black people being tased to death, black people being beaten. We're talking about torture. We're talking about Mm -hmm. a society that is executing the same means of torture and assassination that they have that they have done committed around the world against their own citizens. And we have the audacity to be going to foreign countries talking about democracy. We have the audacity to demonize leaders whom we say kill their own people. Well, what the heck is this? When police shoot, innocent, shoot black people, execute black people, what not that a country killing it with weapons that they have gotten from the federal government, from the Pentagon? What is different about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't that you, a country killing its own citizens? You know, as you, as you, as you talk about, and Henry Giroux, who is the author of Youth in a Suspect Society, he speaks about the politics of disposability. Absolutely. That serves to remove young people from the realm of being uh, deserving of of support and resources, and the persistent denial of Black humanity and a callous disregard of Black pain that has been constant in in American history. You know, you have been. Very clear when you talked with us last week from Ferguson and tonight, Michael Brown and his peers did not create the, create the world in which they are living and miserably dying. And over the last 20 years, young black people have become increasingly the targets of policies and rules suggesting that they are in some ways already assumed to be criminal, as you, as you pointed out, or at the very least dangerous by default. I mean, who are we as a people, as a nation, in a democracy that writes justice in every do- government document that you can find, who puts metal detectors, in the schools. I think that this is a higher form of what happened when we were coming up as young people where segregationists and white supremacists were determined that we would not be educated, were determined that we would be suited only for sharecropping and plantation work, but we had parents who were genius. And out of that uh, desire for white supremacy to keep us forever under the yoke of plantation labor, our parents created schools that were long trains running towards excellence. That was before white people caught on and decimated the black school culture. 
And now that school culture is being decimated by charter schools, by online education, and we do not believe that black children are worthy of being educated. We do not see them. This society does not see them as assets like our parents saw us as assets. They are seen as burdens. And I need to just make it very clear that it's not just young people. This is a war against black America. 22 to 31-year-olds, 40% of them, according to the Malcolm X grassroots report, are killed and murdered mm-hmm. by the police. Mm-hmm. 42 mm-hmm. years or over, 16% are murdered by African, I mean, sorry, by police. The mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 32 to 41 years old, 17% are murdered by police. And the largest percentage uh, is um, the 22 to 31. So we mm-hmm. see, and the other thing that we have to be clear about, are we miss the enormity of what we're dealing with. This is not just black men. If another person say black men without understanding that black women are being shot in the same brutal executionary way that black men are, we must democratize our discourse so that we don't have a discourse this male-centered like lynching was, although black women were lynched, not with the same amount of frequency, but certainly the same kind of brutality. And so we have to really begin to claim the bodies of our daughters, Keisha Boyd in Chicago. We have to understand that Michael Brown is part of a larger community of black people, male and females, who were shot and who were allowed to let, uh, who were allowed to lie in the dirt without mm-hmm, any treatment mm-hmm. for hours, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. in a capitalist technocracy, black people are disposable waste. So mm-hmm, when you mm-hmm. witness black people being a, being the police allowing black people like Billy Joe Johnson of Loosedale, Mississippi, to lie in the street without any attention for seven hours. We just don't, we don't have an incident. We have a phenomenon. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so we have to understand that that's part of a capitalist technocracy that says that black people are disposable and human waste. So there's a well, reason why, they, why mm-hmm. black people, when we are shot, that we are permitted to lie in the street as if we were disposable waste, that we must mm-hmm. make the connection between that and the society that Henry Gouraud talks about, and we must ask questions. What does it mean to live in a capitalist technocracy? Who matters in a capitalist technocracy? And so we well, have not gotten – I'm sorry. I, go ahead. We have not gotten our grounding – because things are happening so fast, and for a while we wallowed in this sense of well-being and accomplishment in a post-racial world. And we got really thrown off because we had black elective officials and because black people went to white universities. We really thought that we had hit the promised land, and we lost sight of what Fannie Lou Hamer said, 
that we didn't come all this way, to paraphrase her, for a seat in the White House or a seat in Congress. The idea was to create a new world coming and not integrate, as Martin Luther King said, in a burning house. Our call as a people was a call to elevate the sights of America so that we could really move towards a democracy. We were the trumpet blowers of democracy. We were the people who in this country who kept America's eyes on the prize. And mm-hmm. somehow we lost our sight and vision. And in, we find ourselves, um, as we join with community in Ferguson, Missouri, in this August 2014, that our young people are being managed and controlled through the lens of crime, repression, and punishment. And what is particularly critical as we began our season, our broadcast season in January, Black America in Crisis, that young people like Michael Brown, his peers, they are the generation born into this get tough on crime, stop and frisk, war on drugs, war on terror, war on everything country, and it's a country that is actually dangerous for our children because young men and women like Michael Brown, their bodies have become a lethal weapon under this tent of inherent markers of suspicion and criminality, and... um, but their black skin has been become weaponized to be the aggressor let me, let me just, and never a victim. Let me just go back. I must say that our grandmothers are in danger. Pearly Golden, 93 years old in Hearns, Texas, was executed with five bullets by a police who had only been on the police force for two years, and in each of those years he had killed a black person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jack Robeson, in his 40s, down in Ray Cross, Georgia, his girlfriend called 911, and instead of, because she thought he had taken an overdose of diabetic medicines, and instead of sending the emergency medics, they sent the police, who within 30 seconds of being in the house blew him away. He never had a chance to say a mumbling word. And Jack Robinson was a veteran who did not die in the, on the battlefield in a foreign country. He, died, he was murdered, executed, shot in the back, shot in the head, shot in the stomach by white police in Valdosta, Georgia. What I'm saying is that it is very dangerous today for African Americans to call 911. No matter the age, no matter the gender, we are all under siege. You know, Ruby, That's it, overwhelming, it, it, but it, we, must, yeah. we must shift the discourse to mm-hmm. represent the, the deep meaning 
of what's going on. And it's not just that black people are in crisis. I want to say to my white brothers and sisters, white America is in crisis. It is a crisis at the very heart of democracy. It is the crisis that has taken this society over to a totalitarian police state. It is a crisis that makes this world not only unsafe for black people, but ultimately, in the heat of the day, unsafe for anyone who will go up against this system as a dissenter. It is really important for us to understand that Richard Nixon began this whole trajectory with his war um, law and order. Now, what he did was that he criminalized activists like the Panthers as an excuse to blow them away or put them in prison. And then other presidents like Ronald Reagan extended that to all black people under the guise, all black people after the Southern Freedom Movement and the Northern Movements were seen as a clear and present danger to American society. And so that all black people began to come under that net of police assault and violence. And there are situations where SWAT teams would come into people's homes and terrorize them and shoot a seven-year-old black girl in Detroit, Michigan, in a SWAT raid. A black mother in Ohio who had a baby in her lap. These situations are heinous. And somehow we have not caught up with the severity. And I don't know if we can't process it because it's so overwhelming. I don't know if it's easy for us to point out one segment of a society without realizing that to be black in America is to be unsafe, period, wow. period. We've got to get it, that in our heads. It is, we cannot it is a let powerful meet. truth. It's a powerful truth. It is a powerful truth, truth. yes. The black man, Garner, truth. who was killed in New York, he was not a young black man. He was a father with children, and he was choked to death. The black man in Florida who went out in this yard to get cigarettes at 2 o'clock in the morning was almost fatally wounded by police who came into his yard and shot him multiple times. This is an assault on blackness by white supremacists who are trying to hold on to power in a two-thirds colored world. We live in a lockdown society where the mobility of black people are restricted and brown people are restricted. Muslims are restricted through the prison industrial complex. And Christianity wow. within this white supremacist model becomes a battle cry to execute a war against our Muslim brothers and sisters all over the world. We have to Absolutely. understand that this is the last gasp of white supremacy in the West. Mm -hmm. And so I would say news... to my white friends out there, your America is in crisis. It's not yes. that you're allies. 
the war is your war to respond to. You're not mm-hmm. our allies. You must fight no. for democracy. It's not a question of being an ally, but it's a question of, of being a freedom fighter for democracy. And you have just as much stake in it as a black person does. So we must create a new freedom language where white people see themselves as having some stake in saving democracy, not as an ally, but as an American. Mm. So we, and the other thing I want to say is that we must deal with a new language. My friend June Jordan, the poet, said that we must begin to be able to call an MF an MF. We must begin to understand white supremacy, that white privilege is not the same thing as white supremacy. Privilege is not systemic. White supremacy is systemic. Privilege is what emerges from white supremacy, but that's not the, the evil itself. The evil is white supremacy. White privilege becomes a benign way of talking about an insidious social disease, and it obscures the brutal nature of that social disease. And privilege does not convey anything. It's passive. White supremacy conveys action. So we have got to pull together. We have more black PhDs in the world than we've ever had, yet the scholarship is mediocre. People still say the Civil Rights Movement without understanding that it was a human rights struggle, that it was a struggle for dignity that transcended civil rights. It was a larger struggle. It was a struggle against terrorism in the South, and when you reduce it to a struggle for civil rights, it leaves out the terrorism. Yes. It sanitizes the struggle. So we have got to begin to think, to move beyond the soundbite and listen to radio programs like Our Common Ground. And finally, as I'm saying, one of the things that disturbed me, and I can't say this strongly enough, one of the things that people kept saying in Ferguson, and it was in the Washington Post, that older and younger black people are at odds with each other. And black people began to repeat that. I need to say that there's a difference between generational descent and a house divided. And one of the ways in which you maintain oppression is to divide the house and promote that division. So I would say that this is not a young person's struggle. This is not an old person's struggle. We must develop an intergenerational movement that has within it hindsight history, insight contemporary based on history, and foresight strategies for the future. Every generation must be involved in this struggle. It does not belong to any generation. It belongs to the body of black people who, despite your age, despite your sexuality, you are a target in the night and in the daytime in America. So Mm. I try to say to our young people that dissent, because we depend on you to dissent, because your eyes have not become as blurred as our eyes. You have not bought into the comfort of being in the system. Dissent. We depend on young people to dissent. That's not a crisis. 
That's normal. That's what keeps black people's eyes on the prize. And so when white, pe- white people want us to, to want to feel that black people's house are di- is divided, because then what some white people want to do is come in and claim our children. And I say to people, I don't know about a divided house. I just know that when I leave Ferguson and any other place, that these young folks have to go home to their parents, to their neighbors next door, to the people who keep an eye on them, and they are older people. And so what do you mean about a house divided? And so we've got to not let that generational conflict, we must not other any generation. And when we talk about that black young people and old people in that way, we are borrowing a model from Western society where people are othered based on differences. Does any of that rant make sense? Uh, It makes too much sense and... One of the things that we have got to have as our mantra out there is that we have got to stay strong and stay black. You're listening to Our Common Ground. We're talking with Reverend Dr. Ruby N. Sales of the Spirit House Project in Atlanta. And when we come back, we'll be joined by another boots-on-the-ground reporter, one of the most foremost religious leaders of his generation, Reverend Asagyekfo Uhuru Seku. This is our common ground. We'll be right back. But what I'm saying is that we focus so much on that that we that we've been caught unawares that we live in a police state and the criminalization of African-American people, including African-American women who have been shot like Melissa Williams and her boyfriend in Cleveland. The police fired 137 rounds of bullets into that car. 59 police cars chased them. And this is, and so being in Ferguson and actually seeing it was Mm -hmm. quite terrifying Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we are in a war and we don't have a clue mm-hmm. in terms of the weapons that are being used. Question You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending. When you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. What we see before our eyes, the sky is green and the grass is blue. But one thing you can't deny, these people are sabotaging this economy. And these people are sabotaging this country. Alpha on TruthWorks Network, the best of political pushback. Go for it, Alpha.
Friday and Saturday brunch. If you want your news real and your talk raw and right now, it's Friday and Saturday. India Declare at the I Declare brunch. Real, raw, and right now, India is live. Friday and Saturday morning, 11 a.m. The I Declare show with India Declare. On Blog Talk Radio. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now of that story the media and the and the government officials in collusion are in, uh, are attempting to articulate a simple truth to us in terms of their notion of truth so a a a, a simple lie that they are articulating is that he is a nigga who deserved to be murdered uh, yes it's tragic that this young man is about to start college when he was died but he doesn't have to justify being alive to anybody so the fact it, it, whether or not he was going to go to college, he was a precious child. And uh, whether or not he took a box of cigars uh, and paid for it or didn't pay for it or whatever. And this was a child who deserved to live, who was shot, who was killed. Justice must be done in this case. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Thank you for joining us tonight. Stay tuned. Yes, I'm still here. Uh, the police have uh, 
gone into the shadow, so it's a little more peaceful uh, after several days of tear gas and uh, abuse by the police. But uh, the people are still standing. These young warriors will not stand down. They continue to walk the streets and bear witness to the life of Mike Brown and bear witness to the realities of being young, black, and abused by the police. Well, you certainly have been helpful in giving voice to our brothers and sisters and the family uh, of Michael Brown and to the victims of police abuse um, and uh, to all of us who have uh, a, a focus on what liberation means in this situation. You summarize for us in the time that you have. You've got um, mail. Not that you've got mail, but summarize for <laughs> us for <laughs> summarize for us your impressions about where we are as a people reflecting on what you see in Ferguson. Well, I think uh, broadly and even more broadly than that, a. Uh, there is something afoot among young people that the vast majority of leadership, the people who are running the orientations here, the people who are uh, uh, setting up the various committees, the various committees, um, and the leadership is coming from young folks, whether it be Tef Poe uh, here, a young rapper who's emerged as a leader, or the Dream Defenders of the Black Youth Project, um, all of which is led by. Uh, young folks, both men and women, who are committed to the project of freedom and who are extending the uh, tradition, the radical tradition of the black freedom struggle. Uh, what I've, I've been emerged, what is, uh, what is, we're looking at now is a kind of media narrative war. The police have hand, uh, hired a uh, firm, ironically named uh, Common Ground. Common to, Ground. Co- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is I have, to, I have uh, been all week fielding calls and emails around, is that you? No, it is not me. And so uh, this all-white firm, all-white firm, uh, working for a predominantly white police force uh, in order to create a narrative in which uh, Michael Brown, uh, Michael Brown has continued to be uh, killed over and over again uh, in the public space. We find ourselves, uh, in fact, they said in their press release that uh, they are like e, uh, EMTs coming to deal with the crisis, and it's, it's, it's tragically and sadly ironic because the EMTs will not call for Mike Brown, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the medics were not allowed to go to him. Uh, yet this, uh, dogs were called out, reinforcement were called out, and now they've hired a uh, firm who has the audacity to use the language of being of a medical, uh, an emergency medical team. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. the people continue to resist. Um, they continue to bear witness to, uh, to the truth, particularly these young people. They are just amazing in their work and in their energy. You know, one of the chants they do is we're young, we're strong, and we're going to march all night long. And so I try to uh, try to hang with them as long as I can. You know, uh, most of the folks who have been doing this a little while, we're playing catch-up to these young people. They are our leaders, and they're uh, taking direction. You know, we are calling for a, an, an indictment 
Uh, we need a uh, – we totally need – I'm talking to kind of the organizing headquarters for the noise in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we need a uh, – we need an indictment and a conviction, a demilitarization of the police in our community, greater job opportunities for young people, uh, part and parcel of what this great call hands up. Don't Shoot Coalition is working on. And I want to, again, mm-hmm. emphasize that these young people, we should be celebrating them and not demonizing them, not calling them looters and rioters, but these young folks have engaged in this rich tradition of civil disobedience and noncompliance, uh, and uh, we are all better for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you if you have any recommendations around what we should be doing out here in our local communities. I know what you are doing in Boston. Your work with youth in Boston is just outstanding, and I can't wait for you to get back here because I have an idea uh, for Freedom Academies. But <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd love I'd love to talk about it. And even in Boston, I follow the leader of young folks. So it's the, you know, the young queer poets uh, that I, I follow the lead of. It's folks like Jody Williams with uh, "If You Can Feel mm-hmm. It, You Can Speak It," and and uh, D. Ruff, uh and Portia O. and Niall Israel and uh, the, the flatline poetry and all of those young mm-hmm. folks are the folks that I follow. They're my leaders. And then there's the city school and Project Hip Hop and Being Town uh, um, and these uh, Ace Reap. These young folks, uh, much of the work from Boston that is moving is, uh, say, around transportation. Uh, there's the uh, uh, the youth pass work that I've attempted to just to be a presence at, and then there is youth against mass incarceration. And so there is a movement of foot in Boston, and we see it nationally, uh, like I mentioned earlier, with the Black Youth Project and Dream Defenders. These young folks uh, are our leaders, and I and I'm and I'm gracious to stand with them. Uh, and again, these young people here in Ferguson, they won't bow. Uh, and they mm-hmm. and they do us all proud. Mm-hmm. Well, we are certainly we we understand and we can hear the weariness in your voice yes. um, after being there for such a long time, and and and, and it, it people need to really connect into doing this kind of work that you and Ruby Sales have done over the last week. It's very painful. It yes, is. yes. We've, uh, you know, I've personally reached out to my own pastor and uh, pastors, and I've, uh, you know, we actually have uh, crisis counselors on site who can do some kind of triage and uh, trauma work with folks. Uh, mm-hmm. But a lot of what happens is in the street, the joy that we have in the street, right? My grandmother mm-hmm. used to sing a song, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world didn't take it away. And so, the celebration that these young people would do in the street gives us all, uh, lifts us all up. And that, uh, you know, if if the work is killing you, then there's something you're not doing right. And so we have to find joy in the work. And uh, following mm-hmm. these young folks gives me joy. And so my voice Let is a little tired. You. Yeah, yeah, but, you but, can but hear my, it. Uh, but my, uh, but I, but you know, we're gonna fight on to see what the end gonna be. Mm. Uh-huh. Well, one of the things I, 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 I think that we want you to continue to be safe, continue to be joyful and, and inspiring to these young people. 
But what we need most right now is to help adults in our community understand that this is a moment for us to begin conditions under which we have allowed our children to grow up. It is a moment to defend for our children. It is a moment to honor the ancestors that brought us thus safely on our way. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, and part of that is find out wherever you are, where young people are, and go listen. Like, I am not mm-hmm. a leader here. I, I'm not leading anything. I am just following young people and listening to them, right, listening to their pain, their angst, and their insight, and their ability to bear a truth. And, and I, just, I just need to bear witness to Reverend Dr. Ruby Sell's historic work and this word that she dropped on us today, that her level yes. of political clarity is not something of the past, right, that oftentimes we relegate civil rights leaders to things that they used to do, but she is still on the battlefield. And she uh, gave us all a critical insight. In fact, she talked so good, I just started to hang up the phone and send you a message and say, she said everything I need to say and, th- and given an insight that I, that I couldn't even give, you know. But we, uh, it's just a matter of us being in proximity of where young people are struggling and standing beside them is the way that we're going to get out of this, right, that we have to listen to them. We have to follow them and, and take serious their insights. Now, this is not to say that youth alone is the requisite for insight and leadership, but this, it is also to say being older alone is not the requisite and the, uh, and the necessary right. insight of leadership. But it must be intergenerational, that we must have some kind of institutional memory of things. Yes. You know, young people need to know that they're not the first generation mm-hmm. of black people to catch hell inside the American empire and that they mm-hmm. come from a people who, when they could do nothing else, they would sing a song and mm-hmm. heaven would, and the stars would line up on their behalf. And, uh, and, and for those of us who are religious, God would break into history uh, by the mere fact that we would sing our songs. And so these young people are walking uh, in the midst of an illegal, immoral, and unjust mandate that they cannot rally and assemble a clear violation of their First Amendment rights. But they're going to walk, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to walk together, children, and we're not going to get, re- uh, get weary because there's a great camp meeting in Ferguson, and uh, we're on our way home. Absolutely. Well, Reverend Sekou, my dear brother, you know that I love you so much. You're too kind. Love and you too, dear I can <laughs> never, ever, ever want your voice, your wisdom, and your insight to go unfettered and without influence on whatever is going on with our people. And I know you got to go, and thank you so very much. And well, you you're going to come too. back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, uh, and then and once, once I get settled, we'll be able to have a longer conversation. I also want to know that I ask that your listeners uh, just kind of pay attention to Twitter and to Facebook uh, to make sure that, you know, these folks are not doing damage to our babies. Bless you and thank yes. you. Okay, good Bye-bye. night. And we'll night. talk in a couple of days. That was Reverend Asag. Oh, let me see. Here we go. Uh, so I can get him. I know he's working on his cell phone, so we don't want to hold him. Ruby, you see, the thing is that we all have to recognize what is happening here. 
Yes, I'm thinking Reverend Sekou said something very important. He says we've been here before. And young Mm -hmm. people have to understand that not only have we been here before, but we were victorious in bringing down an empire without firing a shot. And that we are not helpless or powerless people when we touch our capacity to struggle. And so that they are part of a long continuum, a part of a mighty cloud of witnesses who have struggled since the beginning of captivity in this country, and we are still here, and we are still alive. Thanks be to God. Because as Audrey Lord says, we were not meant to survive, and here we are. So I think that even in the midst of the despair, even in the midst of the, the, the executions, the grace is that this is a Kairos moment to make a difference in one of the most critical periods in American history. How we conduct ourselves, not only as black people, but as a community of Americans will determine not just the fate of black people, but also the fate of democracy. Be real clear about that. And each generation, I agree with Reverend Sekou, each generation must have the freedom to construct and put their patch on this long train running towards justice. But what I really want to emphasize within that context, I want to rely on the SNCC model of leadership. Although SNCC was a body of young people, out of that body came Fannie Lou Hamer, Victoria Gray Adams, Anna Devine, Anita Blackwell, and so and Ella Baker. And so it was very clear that movement must be intergenerational, and we cannot privilege any age over the other age. We must utilize an African model of liberation that says that every person, every generation must take their seat around the table for struggle. And we have to begin to respect in an African tradition the power of young people as well as the power of the elders. Because to be perfectly honest, I can't get out there and walk 20 miles. I cannot be the, the, the runner, the sprinter. I cannot be that at my age. But I, what I can tell somebody is when you run, child, when you get down to 21st Street, there's a pothole there. And what you need to do to avoid that pothole is to veer to the right so you won't fall. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes. That's essential yes. because if you don't know where the pothole is, like any, if you had been, if we had really thought deeply, for those of us who've been in movement, it was very clear we should have known that they would bring in agent provocateurs to throw bottles. 
Mm-hmm. But when you don't tell young people that there's something called agent provocateurs, the young people that, whom I'm working with, I had to give them a whole history lesson. They had never heard of agents. And so you can't conduct a struggle without the understanding of the terrain. And while mm-hmm. older mm-hmm. people can't run as fast as younger people can, they can certainly say, What's safe and where you, what you bet how what you better do, and we should not have been surprised that Michael Brown was criminalized. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. who know that should have already prepared young people to understand that, so that a strategy would have already been developed. Why do we keep being surprised and taken aback by something that is so commonplace? Why for, these people are not even original? They just keep recycling the old myths and the old lies and the old tools. Mm-hmm. These are not new one, tools. One of the things that um, strikes me about what is happening in Ferguson is that there was, and and it's being built now because there were a list of demands that were issued on yesterday. Uh, by the uh, Young People's Committee in, in Ferguson to, to both the police, the mayor, and the governor. But one of the things that just strikes me is the lack of understanding as this happened. As I listen to the, I, you know, I am very focused on grassroots voices. As I listened to people who were being interviewed at the scene, at the time of the murder, uh, it was as though they did not understand. They were stunned. They were surprised. Absolutely. And they couldn't articulate the presence, the, the the, the type of presence that had already been in their neighborhood brought by uh, the police. They had complaints, but they couldn't articulate essentially the the larger picture of what their complaints meant. And and to adults, Ruby, and I want to talk about this, because some of us, some of us in, in our generation, in our children's generation who have children, um, our our people have been telling us for 25 years. You know, I've been doing broadcasting for, this is my 29th year. We have been talking about the siege by police in our neighborhoods the entire time that I've been on the air. We've been consistently talking about the harassment and, and our children being hassled for no reason other than their youth and and skin color, um, that they are seen as symbolic assailants. We have heard in our music through Tupac, N.W.A., Jazzery X, about the frustration and anger about this unfair and unjust targeting, yet we have not, as civically engaged taxpayers challenged the system on behalf of our children. We behave like we have little power to resist. And all of us are suffering 
as we can see, potentially lethal consequences because I'm, I'm very clear about it. I have two grandsons, and I'm very clear that they are automatic targets. That's all we have been talking about over the last year and a half since my gr- oldest grandson got a bicycle. <laughs> and, and, and one of the things, we've got to get some ideas. Like I think across this nation, mothers and fathers in communities across this nation ought to be organizing meetings with their local police, talking about accountability and these issues. That's one thing. The Are you other there? Is, yes, I'm here. Okay. Okay. So we've got to take some responsibility and come out of, as you said to us last week, pull our heads out of, you said the sands, and I want to say out of our butts. <laughs> and I, I, I think that this is the outgrowth of the decimation of the connection between scholars and their communities. You see, during segregation, whether by force or by choice, black intellectuals had to live in the community, and they had a direct relationship to the community, and they were able to decode for the community the times. That linkage has been broken. And for the first time in the black community, we had classism, but we did not have this post-civil rights elite that exists today that came out of a a process of co-optation and taking the best minds out of the black community and changing the nature of the work where we were no longer working for black people but working for white institutions where we became the guardians of white safety rather than the guardians of black survival. And so this mm-hmm. had a tremendous impact on our ability to be able to understand. And we invested a lot, parents invested a lot of energy, poor parents, middle-class parents, into educating their children. And black people educated our children for the advancement of the race and for the preservation of our rights and liberties. And those Mm -hmm, sacrifices, mm -hmm. because they understood that they did not have access to the knowledge that some of the knowledge that was needed in order to press forward the struggle. And so that they thought that if they, our parents thought if they educated us, we would be able to make it plain. And we did not do that. I hear black scholars, my friends, talk about what a heady experience it is to walk down the halls of Harvard or Princeton. I didn't find it a heavy, heady experience. I found it quite oppressive because they tried to cut out my tongue and make me grow a new one. And so we have to really understand that no community can be its best when its thinkers are absent without a lead. And so it was designed to weaken black people 
And so this mm-hmm. is what we're dealing with. The segregation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of those, the destruction of the black family, where children were encouraged to call the social workers and tattle on their parents. And so black, the state took over parenting for black kids. It was, it was taken out of the hands of black parents. Mm-hmm. Not that I believe in corporal punishment, but that was not the only way in which the state intervened in the rearing of black children. And, and I just Absolutely. think that our parents did a fantastic job because they did so much with what so little. And we dropped the ball. I mean, well, I can't you know, believe it's really interesting that you say that because it, of my generation, and you know I was up here in the northern plantation. My parents <laughs> sent me up here to go to school and get and do all the things that you talked about. But for that first wave of you and I, we were the first wave yes. to go into powerful institutions of education. And we all didn't go because we didn't know that you can get wealthy by having a job or having a degree. We came to better our community. That was the first way. Yes, yes. Now, the second way, I mean, I look at all my friends, all my friends that I went to undergraduate school with who went to Harvard Law School, who went to Yale Law School, they came out to do service, and they are some of them are still doing service. They came out to do research, and some of them are still applying that research to public policy, et cetera, et cetera. They came out to do the think, be the think tank for our community. But that second wave, the 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 um. And the third wave and the fourth wave that Barack Obama and Michelle Obama and that whole crew, it, it, they they lost their they lost their sense of community. You're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I look at I, I I I just I just look at that and think what happened between my wave of a Tom Atkins. And 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 others, and the the second and third wave and the fourth wave of uh, our people who got lost. They just simply got lost. Well, they lost. got lost because we permitted them to be lost. They got lost because we sent them to institutions that stole their minds and refocused and created in them opposing loyalties. They got mm-hmm. lost because they were taken out of their communities at very early ages and sent to white institutions and told that they were different from the ordinary African-American people, persons. Mm-hmm. You, know what, they got you know what they say about Harvard? They say that Harvard has ruined more black minds than crack. Well, <laughs> I, I just think that, and, and really, to be honest, the system really, uh, the guardians of white society shifted what had been the purpose of the movement and uh-huh. turned a movement for freedom into a materialist uh you know when Richard Nixon constructed this whole thing uh black capitalism that slowly uh-huh. began to shift the directions of a people and so that we were told that the movement 
meant that we had an opportunity to be and live like white people without questioning why would we want to live like the very people that we have stood up against. And we just did not have that kind of conversation continuing. And we did not understand uh, the nature of the world that we were living in. And so I think that part of the problem was that we had a great strategy in terms of how to fight Southern apartheid, but we did not have a strategy on what it meant to be free and maintain one's focus. We just allowed our focus to be really manipulated. For even those of us who were well-intentioned, we have to admit that none of our hands are clean. You're absolutely right. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Our Common Ground. We're in conversation with Reverend Dr. Ruby Nell Sales of the Spirit House Project in Atlanta, Georgia. Our number is 347-838-9852. If you'd like to join us in this discussion, if you have any questions for Dr. Sales in regard to her experiences in Ferguson over the last week, and I know that all of us are benefiting from this discussion, hearing this wisdom, experience, insight, and deep thinking. I'm Janice Graham, and we'll be right back. Just like the city has stagger on the coastline in a nation that just can't stand much more. Like the forest buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America We invite you to join Peter E. Matthews on Soul Emergence, Tuesday nights, 9 p.m., Soul Emergence at TruthWorks Network. Where reconciliation is the tool of revolution. Soul Emergence with Peter E. Matthews, only on TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative. White men are executing these murders because, you know, we talk about black rage, but the people who are really in a rage are white men. And they are emptying the, I mean, the fact that you shoot someone nine times indicates that it's personal, it's up close personal, and it's in a rage. So we've got to begin to look at the connection 
between the loss of geographic power since this country is no longer predominantly white and and then a capitalist technocracy where only even a few white people matter, although they've been told that they matter. The truth of the matter is they're in a rage because they have been, the only thing they have to move on is a little bit of white privilege and lies about their superiority. But all the jobs are going overseas practically. The, the, the infrastructure has been gutted here. And black bodies, and so we live in a disposable age and an age mm-hmm. of cruelty. And in this mm-hmm. disposable technocracy, black people count the least of all people. And black bodies are considered disposable waste. And what, what the powers to be say to white people is that black people are inherently criminal. We come from a criminal culture, and we pose a clear and present danger to the social order and to the security of white people. Mm-hmm. And so that's how white people get pulled into this because just like they said that black men pose a threat to white women, the security of white womanhood during the lynching era, they've just expanded that now to include all black people. So we're, we're dealing with this. And so they have permission, given how people acquiesce to that notion of their security, the enemy without, which is always a, a, an issue in this country. We always have to have an enemy. And so they have permission. All alone, fighting on our own. Please give me a chance. I don't want to dance. Something's got me down. I will stand my ground. Don't just stand around. Don't just stand around. We took our planet, I ducked and hid for my life because I was free for my life. And I hid by the first car that I saw. My friend, he kept running. And he told me to keep running because he feared for me too. So as he was running, the officer uh, was trying to get out of the car. Thank you for being with us tonight. This is our common ground. A sanctuary. Black truth finds its place. We're resistant is treasured, speaking truth to power and ourselves. All we want to do is take chains off. All we want to do is break chains off. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is be free. And we thank you for being with us. This is Our Common Ground. Uh, Our history note this week. Uh, was we celebrated our ancestor, the birthday of our ancestor, Marcus Garvey, mm-hmm. and thought very much about his organization, the Uni- Universal Negro Improvement Association, which represented the largest mass movement in African-American history, proclaiming a black nationalist back-to-Africa message. Garvey and the UNIA established 700 branches in 38 states by the early 1920s. And that tells us that we have a history of resistance and a history of organizing that is most powerful. We have with us tonight in talking about America Occupied, Dr. Reverend Ruby Sales, and we are 
honored to have her with us and so grateful for her voice. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Sales, and we're going to go to our phones. Thank you for waiting, 312. I respect you. You're on the air. Hey, uh, Janice and uh, Dr. Sales, thanks for taking the call. I just have one quick question. Um, House music see- lover from Chicago. Thank you for joining us tonight. How, um, unlike uh, Trayvon or Oscar Grant, how do we make this uh, into a moment that, um, you know, will perpetuate into the future? How do we make this into a movement, excuse me, as opposed to just a moment? Ruby, I'm going to let you respond to that. Well, first of all, I think that movement is dynamic, and it's not one particular time. I think movements are built on moments, but what a movement must have, and you're absolutely right, is a destination. And I'm not sure right now there is a clear destination as to where we want to head as a people. And I think that that destination cannot be defined by leaders who are not authentic. This is a community conversation where this conversation must be uh, must come up out of the body of the people. The people must set the agenda. Uh, this is a common struggle for a common people. Ordinary people must have voice in this conversation. I can't define that. I can put my voice in the conversation. But the fundamental question is, what is the destination of a people in a capitalist technocracy where we are human waste and where we face technological warfare that has tremendous implications for genocide, how do we be how are we able to develop a movement where we work alongside people like Ann Braden who worked very much in white people who worked very much in conjunction with African Americans and then the other question is in a fragmented world how do we build a movement that have the voices that has the voices of Native Americans, and so we've we've got to figure out how to talk about ourselves while talking about our our brothers and sisters. That's very hard because our we're under so much assault uh, in every different direction that it's hard to keep our eyes on other people, but we must do that. So when I talk about white people, I'm not talking about white people as a monolithic group of people because I recognize the roles that white people have played in struggle. So we've got, so what I would say a, a, a goal is to do is to develop a 21st century freedom language. That's the first thing that we have to do to develop a new freedom language. Do you understand what I mean by that? Not quite. We have to develop a language that humanizes us rather than dehumanize us. Right now, the language criminalizes us, dehumanizes us, and so we must see what happened. And and let me see if I can. What happened is that the power structure, people in the power structure, 
took freedom-loving language that we had developed out of struggle and used it for themselves. And that language has very little meaning when you call death squads in El Salvador freedom fighters. And so we've got to figure out new ways of calling ourselves. That's important. And the new names will say a lot about where we're headed. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. We've got to figure out what do we call ourselves. I don't like organizers because organizers say that you're the subject, you've got the power, you've got the know-how, and you're coming into somebody's community and you're bringing order out of chaos. That's not what we should call ourselves. There must be another name that makes clear that we're members of a community and when we work as members of the community, we're not working as organizers. We're working as people, as as black people who are part of a community with a common struggle. So we've got to find words that talk about a common struggle, words um, like and not builders. words like activists and organizer. Words like builders. Words builders, like healers. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Words like builders. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So that's the mm-hmm. first thing we've got to learn how to do is how to name ourselves. How do how do we yes. talk about the work that we're doing? Absolutely. House, thank you so much for your call. Great question. Uh, and I hope that all of us will think deeply on the question and the door that Ruby Sales has opened for us to think about those. We're going to go to... 773, you're on the air. Your question or comment, I respect you. Thank you very much for your call. Well, good evening, Janice. And good evening, good evening Alpha. Uh, I've been listening to uh, a very, very powerful program this evening, as always. Uh, Thank you. Thank we, you. Have, we have the answers to the, you know, I I wanted to go that way, but let me say this. We don't even take care of what we should be taking care of. These people in Ferguson have been basically railroaded like cattle. They're being rode like cattle for the betterment of the municipality. When you see that there are an average of three warrants per household issued in that that, uh, municipality, and they keep them in a uh, never-ending, in a perpetual state of fear and court and payments and under the thumb, when we struggle with questions like what do we call ourselves, we should be struggling with rallying the youth. You see, leaders like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton have basically run their ex- to their expiration date. And that's not to say anything negative about those people because they have dedicated their lives and dedicated themselves. They get the flack from our own community because they, unlike all of the other Civil rights leaders in our history refuse to die paupers. 
and they have taken advantage of what majority of our politicians have done to enrich their lives and the lives of their family. People like Jackson and Al Sharpton have been soldiers in this struggle, but now it's time for new soldiers to emerge. It's time for new leaders to emerge. But where are they? There's not many of them that can stand on the shoulders of leaders like Sharpton and, and Jackson. You can call Jackson a, a, a opportunist, and you can call Al Sharpton an opportunist, a snitch, whatever you want to call it. But these two men have done a yeoman's job for the community. It just seems now that somebody else needs to pick up that ball and carry it. We have to engage in the political process because it's the political process that has a chokehold on everything else. Yeah. And until we do that, we will be lost in a maze of laws against us. We'll be constantly fighting and reacting to what is being done to us through the legal process. All of these white cops, right now, the biggest and the most important thing, Michael Brown has lost his life. There are hundreds of black, unarmed men, women, and children that have lost their lives to overzealous white police officers. Yep. And unless the one thing that, the, I think the one most important thing of anything is to make sure every police officer has a body count. And if you somehow deactivate that body camera, you come out of the field, you cannot work unless that body camera is running. It protects the police officers. It protects the citizen. Oversight, transparency is the big protector. They would not have been able to shoot Michael Brown. They would not have been able to choke out Eric Garner if there were body cameras on these police officers. Just like well, Pop and Fritz. Well, we uh -huh. hear you, Alpha, and I've only got a few more minutes, and I want to get a response from a brief response from uh, Ruby on what you've had to say. But I think underneath all of this, there is a culture of thuggery, gangsterism, and there is a system of white supremacy at work here and cameras won't fix that. Let's get a response. Thank you, Alpha. The Alpha of the Alpha Show, don't forget to catch him on Friday. He serves hot grits with his politics at TruthWorks Network. Ruby, briefly, do you, do you have a response to... to well, first to, of all, I appreciate his opinions and his, uh, uh, his, uh, his observation because I think what will be critically important is everybody must feel that they can bring their observation and their analysis to the table. So I really, really appreciate that. And so I will not 
try to refute what he says. What I yeah. will do is to add on to just say one thing, that we must, language is important because when we say overzealous cops, we don't realize that, no, they're not overzealous. They're doing what they've been trained to do, shoot to kill. So it's not about somebody getting excited and becoming overzealous. It's about an organized, systematic yep. execution of African-American people. So yep. language, so when we say overzealous, we give them some benefit of the doubt. And we do not understand what it means when the Pentagon gives police departments massive weapons of destruction. So as hard as it is for us to face it, this is what they've been trained to do. This is Absolutely. no accident. They haven't been trained to shoot to maim. They've been trained to shoot to kill. So that's why mm-hmm. I say language is important. And I just mm-hmm. want to thank the brother once again for for putting his mind to think about these issues. Well, he's uh, um, the host of the Alpha Show that broadcasts at TruthWorks Network, which is our... Um, partner station uh, here of of our Common Ground Media and Communications, and he does think about the practicalities of some of the things that we have to put into place uh, to protect ourselves. Ruby Nell Sales, thank you so very much, and I want people to know out there in the audience that we, Ruby and I have plans. Mighty clouds of gray-haired witnesses are going to be rising, and we're looking forward to Ruby Sales having a place at the mic and TruthWorks Network coming this fall, along with a contingent of gray-haired witnesses, authors and scholars and intellectual public uh, intellect coming to TruthWorks Network, Uh, and I am so very pleased. Ruby, you get some some rest. Thank Um, you so much. Can I just quickly say to people, I always forget to say what's happening next. Go to Breaking the Silence on my Facebook and see the next announcement, because we will be back in Ferguson with uh, Samuel D. Wick, Proctor Conference. We will be co-sponsoring an event there, a campground meeting. So please go to Breaking the Silence of Modern Day Lynching on my Facebook page. Breaking the Silence of Modern Day Lynching on Facebook. Uh, another project of the Spirit House Project in Atlanta, Georgia. Ruby, my dear, my sister, Thank you so much, beloved. Thank you to my beloved, and keep on creating a common ground in a fragmented well, and divided world. And you also make contributions to to this sister. She's working very hard, and if you really appreciate the work that she's <laughs> doing, whatever she needs from you, I demand that you give it to her. <laughs> I'm just hoping they'll bring us more people, see, because this kind of discourse, this kind of talk, this serious, deep thinking that we need to do, that is what we try to do here. We're not entertaining anybody. We're not right. trying to do any 
dancing and and singing. Thank you so much, uh, Ruby. I'm going to put you on mute so you can hear the last of our broadcast. And I want to thank all of you for being out there tonight here at Our Common Ground. Don't forget, you need to follow us on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter both at Scoop It as well as at WordPress as well as Pinterest and Facebook, and Twitter. I, you can find me at Janice OCG because we need you to support us just in that way. We bring the best black minds, ideas, and notions in the context of our history and our love for our people at our common ground. It is the place where black truth prevails. And we want to have as many brothers and sisters, anyone can listen to this broadcast across the globe. And our goal over the next year is to increase our listenership. We don't ask you for any money. To increase our listenership both at our common ground and at TruthWorks Network, because we are working hard to bring you broadcasts which amplifies black truth and determination. So we're on Facebook at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. We're on Twitter at Janice OCG. We are on our Common Ground Talk dot WordPress dot net, our Common Ground hyphen talk dot ning dot com, and you can go to our Facebook and find all of these things. And please do. You can help us by sharing our information about our broadcasts. We'll see you next week here at Our Common Ground. Thank you for joining us on Our Common Ground. We're here each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. This is one of the most prolific moments in our lifetime. Resist. Be bold. Be brave. Stand strong and stand black. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be listening for you. And I'm in the now, and it don't take no x-ray to see right through my smile. I know, I'll be on the go, and it ain't no drink out there that can numb my soul. Oh no. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is Can you tell me why? Every time I 